from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this Friday in Washington Watch. I'm your Friday host, Jody Heiss, a senior vice president here at the Family Research Council. Glad to have you joining us. What a week it's been so much in the news. Let me share with you some of the highlights that we'll be covering on this edition of Washington Watch. First of all, we're tracking the news as Israel continues to escalate its attacks on Hamas in Gaza a lot this evening. General said, increasing our activities, taking the war to Hamas, we intend on dismantling their capabilities, destroying their government, and making sure they can never use the Gaza Strip as a staging ground against our people again. Well, that was Peter Lerner. He's a spokesman for the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces. He was speaking with a reporter earlier today, and Texas Congressman Keith Self, who spent more than 25 years in the military and deployed as a member of the Army Special Forces and the Army Rangers, he will be joining me in just a few moments with his reaction to the breaking news. And then later on in the program, in case additional news breaks while we are in the program, General Jerry Boykin will provide his analysis and the latest on what's happening in Israel. And early voting has now started in several states that are facing some key elections and considering some ballot initiatives that demand Christians head to the polls to make their voices heard. I'll be discussing some of these races with FRC Action's Brent Kylan a little bit later in the program. And as the left sharpens their knives, literally, to attack new House Speaker Mike Johnson, they've latched on to criticizing the Speaker for having a covenant marriage Speaker Johnson's home state of Louisiana was the very first state in the nation to pass laws creating covenant marriages. In fact, our very own president, Tony Perkins, here at the Family Research Council, authored that legislation during his time in office in the state legislature there in Louisiana. And to the left, you would think that a husband and a wife entering into a covenant marriage is somehow a problem. But frankly, maybe it's something that would actually help young couples when they're making such a lifelong commitment. I also think it's a big big red flag for women. Um, If you decide that you want to opt into covenant marriage and and your mate says, no, I don't think I want to do that. Well, I think that's a big red flag for us. Maybe we need to rethink the situation. Well, that was House Speaker Mike Johnson's wife during an interview back in 2001. Brad Wilcox, a sociologist and director of the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia, will join me to discuss how covenant marriages can actually help strengthen families. And speaking of the left's attacks, Democrats in the media are doing absolutely the best they can to vilify Speaker Johnson. And among their attacks, well, Speaker Johnson believes the Bible. I am a Bible-believing Christian. Someone asked me today in the media, they said, it's curious, people are curious, what does Mike Johnson think about any issue under the sun? I said, well, go pick up a Bible off your shelf and read it. That's, that's my worldview. That's what I believe. Well, that was new House Speaker Mike Johnson during an interview with Sean Hannity that aired last night. And David Clawson, the director of Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview, will join me later in the program to examine the left's probably predictable attacks against him. So a lot to cover, and just a reminder to encourage you to pray for new House Speaker Mike Johnson and his family. I served with him personally uh, during my time in Congress, and I can testify to his deep, devoted commitment to Christ, as well as his love for family and his love for our country. Look, there are so many issues that need to be urgently addressed, from the ongoing crisis in Israel to the imminent government shutdown to our open borders and a host of other things. And each of these require wisdom and courage. And so we're calling on you to join us in prayer. So will you join FRC in praying for Speaker Johnson? Uh, We encourage you to sign the pledge. We want to encourage him 
you can simply text the word speaker, like house speaker, text the word speaker to 67742, or you can also go to frc.org slash house speaker. We want to encourage him and pray for him. The website, by way of reminder, if you miss any portion of today's program, you can pick it up at TonyPerkins.com, and there are also tons of not only archived programs there, but a lot of resources available for you, so don't miss out, TonyPerkins.com. All right, let's jump into this uh, program, this edition this evening. We continue to track the breaking developments coming from Israel, where Israeli forces launched intense airstrikes throughout the evening in preparation for what appears to be a full-scale ground attack. Elsewhere in the region, Iran continues to escalate its attacks by proxy uh, on American troops, leading many to question President Biden's foreign policy's approach. A lot to discuss and unfold here, and joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Keith Self. He serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, as well as the Veteran Affairs Committee, and he represents the 3rd Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Self, always great to see you. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Jody. Great to be here. All right, we've got uh, breaking news throughout this afternoon in Washington and the, this evening in Israel as the IDF uh, launches what could be its full-scale attack on Hamas in Gaza. So what are you hearing right now? Well, I think they have. It certainly seems to be that. And But I will tell you, they will be very careful to target Hamas leadership, maybe in the tunnels, but this will not be a war against every person in the Gaza Strip. The IDF will target Hamas leadership and the Hamas fighters, and I have no doubt that they will meet their objective uh, to destroy the infrastructure of Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Yeah, I've had a couple of conversations with different individuals. I'd really like to get your input on this, but it seems interesting to me that this uh, this next level of the war is occurring just days after the House of Representatives has a new speaker, Mike Johnson, who has pledged his full support for Israel. Uh, do you think that has anything to do with the timing that's taking place in Israel? And what, in your opinion, can the U.S. do to best back and support Israel as they enter this well, next I, phase? Well, I think the Biden administration actually slowed down the the IDF attack into Gaza Strip. I'm not sure why, but uh, what you ask, what we can best do, we need to separate the Israeli Hamas fight from our deterrence in the region to keep Iran and all of the surrogates out of this war. We need to have a bubble around Israel from international waters and international airspace of intelligence uh, that we can provide them. Uh, and we need to protecting our, be protecting our own troops. But I disagree with these little pinprick attacks we're doing. If you think back to the Trump era, uh, we had one contractor killed. I believe it was one. He took out one of the most senior officials in the Iranian government, Soleimani. Uh, don't go after the, the uh, weapons storage sites. Let's prove to Iran that we are going to deter them diplomatically, economically, and if necessary, militarily. Uh, because we need to return to the maximum pressure on Iran, the Houthis in Yemen, Hezbollah, uh, Hamas even, uh, in the IRGC in Syria itself. These are all surrogates for Iran. We put pressure on Iran. Uh, we stop their oil sales. Uh, we cut their money off. That's how we're going to put pressure on Hezbollah, for instance, IRGC in, uh, in Syria, and the Houthis in Yemen to not get into this war. We want to deter war in the Middle East, not go to war in the Middle East. Great point, Congressman Keith Self from Texas. Uh, listen, you spent a lot of time there. I mean, you were, you were one who uh, is very familiar with the region, very familiar with all the players in the neighborhood of, around Israel. Uh, I'm curious with something you just said about uh, the U.S. needing to be very strong. That's what these people identify with is strength. And as you Absolutely. know, the uh, U.S. Could, the U.S., we had some airstrikes on Iranian proxies in Syria, but the White House is calling this all self-defense. But you think we should have done more. Uh, what, what, tell, go further into that. 
not a widespread attack. We need to select something on the edge, probably, since we have this uh, conflict going on between Israel and Hamas, pick something on the edge and make a serious strike against Iranian assets, whether that be a surrogate or whether that be Iranian, not in Iran, Iran proper, one of their surrogates. We want to demonstrate strength, not the print pricks that we're seeing in, in Syria. Uh, so it, it's got to be a large strike, and I'm not on the inside now in the Pentagon, uh, but I will tell you, I spent time working directly with the IDF. I've spent time in Egypt. I was obviously in Afghanistan and then at Qatar during, uh, during the attack into, uh, into Iraq. Uh, but we need to make a very serious, very strong move to prove our strength to deter Iran from getting into the war. That's the bubble that I was talking about. Uh, it's diplomatic, it's economic, and it's military, but I don't think these pinpricks are the way to do it. We've got to make a strike much like Trump did with Soleimani. I, I think that would speak volumes. Let me play a, I want to play this for you and get your reaction. This is an exchange that uh, Fox News' Jackie Heinrich had with a national security advisor, uh, uh, John Kirby, during a White House press briefing yesterday. Play clip three, please. The president said that if Iran or its proxies attacked U.S. troops, that we would respond. So what is he waiting for exactly? He did say that. We have responded and retaliated in the past quite aggressively, in fact, back in March. And as the president said, uh, we will not hesitate to protect our troops and our facilities, but we're going to do it at a time of our choosing and a manner of our choosing. Hi, there have been 19 attacks. Uh, I'd love to get your reaction to this. Did the Biden administration wait too long to respond after 19 attacks? The Biden administration always waits too long. Uh, the weakness in the Biden administration has been evident to the world since the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, they always wait too long. Uh, pick a target, make the strike that will deter Iran. Iran needs to understand that U.S. has the military assets to not only defend our troops, but should we have to defeat Iran? But that's deterrence. I don't want to go to war in the Middle East. I want to deter Iran from going to war in the Middle East. Extremely well said. I, I think you hit it right on the head when you talked about the weakness and appeasement from this Biden administration in the past. And I mean, that it brings every reason in the world to be very concerned uh, looking forward as the situation in the Middle East intensifies. Congressman Keith Sell from Texas, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Deeply, deeply appreciative of your insight. Thank you for coming on the program. Thank you, Jody. Great to be with you. Have a great weekend. All right, friends, General Jerry Boykin will be joining us a little bit later in the program if there are any other developments between now and then, and he will be giving us additional analysis and up-to-date information as to what's happening in Israel. But for now, we've got some early voting that is underway in several states nationwide, including Ohio, where Christians simply must mobilize now to protect life. We're going to discuss this and dive much deeper into it, so don't go anywhere. Much more to unfold, and we'll do so right after the break. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. 
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your Friday host, Jody Heiss. Glad to have you joining us for this edition. All right. Early voting has begun in many states for this November's elections, including in Ohio, where the abortion industry is literally pouring in tons of money to push for issue one, which would change the state's constitution to allow abortion on demand up until birth. Well, given the national interest in this particular ballot initiative, folks, we need everyone in Ohio to vote no on issue one and to encourage your family, your friends, your church family, encourage everyone to vote no. Uh, But the ballot initiative in Ohio is just one of many votes that are taking place this fall. And here to discuss this and many other races is Brent Kylan. He's vice president for strategic initiatives at the Family Research Council and FRC Action. Brent, thanks for joining us today. Great to see you. Good to see you too, Jody. Appreciate it. All right, well, let's begin by talking about issue one in Ohio. This is huge, and the abortion industry is funneling tons of cash into this ballot initiative. It really is very important. Last numbers I've seen are are tens of millions of dollars being spent on the pro-abortion side. And, Jody, really what we're seeing here is Ohio is kind of the, the current and latest front in the left's new strategy. Uh, Post Dobbs and Roe getting overturned last year, they started this strategy where they're going to states, uh, trying to go around state legislatures and get these constitutional amendments passed, enshrining these types of radical protections in these state constitutions. And they're particularly interested in states like uh, Michigan, we saw last year, uh, Ohio this year, where the uh, the threshold to amend a state constitution is not all that high. So this is very important. Like you said, issue one in Ohio, uh, if passed, would enshrine uh, these radical abortion protections into the constitution. Um, Not only that, it would uh, significantly undermine parental rights, uh, which is very, very concerning. If you look at how this amendment is is worded, uh, lots of bad stuff will happen if this gets, uh, gets passed. So we're urging people in Ohio to get out and vote, get your friends and neighbors out to to vote, vote no uh, on issue one. Uh, And also there's there's issue two um, also on the ballot in November, which would legalize recreational marijuana. A lot of concerns there. So we're encouraging people to also vote no on issue two in Ohio. 
Well, some major, major issues taking place there. Yeah, and it seems to me, as you alluded to, Brent, that this could potentially set up a domino effect as in terms of what happens in Ohio and Michigan. I mean, you've ex- it brought this up. I mean, this could set out a, a strategy to go for multiple states across the union, do you think? You're exactly right, Jody. We actually have already seen the left say this is their plan for 2024. Uh, they, they did some stuff last year. They have the chance for, for states like Ohio this year. But they've outlined, uh, I've seen anywhere from 10 to 12 states next year where they want to do this this same exact thing. So if you're not in Ohio, uh, we need to take note of this because this could could very quickly be coming to a state near you and uh, just very, very important nationally. Absolutely. Well, listen, friends, you've heard it. If you are in Ohio or you know one who, someone who is, please help us urge them to vote no on this issue. One voter turnout is huge, what I'm seeing uh, today and looking at some articles. So uh, this is a critical time. All right, Brent. What's happening in Ohio is not the only uh, important race or state election taking place. We have things happening in Virginia, New Jersey, a host of other places. Kind of give us the lay of the land, what's happening across the country. You're right. There, there's a lot of races we're watching. Most of them have their uh, their elections November 7th. The one exception is Louisiana, which has its runoff a little bit later in uh, in November. But uh, states that have really important statewide races and some state legislative races and ballot initiatives are Louisiana, uh, Kentucky, and uh, also Mississippi. Uh, Louisiana surprised a lot of people where uh, Jeff Landry got so much support in the primary. He avoided the need for a runoff, uh, but there's still a lot of important races there uh, mid-November. And then Kentucky is interesting because it's a, a lot like uh, Louisiana in the sense that it's uh, a, a conservative state, but it has a, a Democrat governor. So we have Daniel Cameron there, who uh, is trying to become the next Republican governor, pick up the governor's mansion there. So that's also an important race we're watching. Um, and then in Mississippi, we have Tate Reeves, incumbent uh, uh Republican governor. Uh, Mississippi is a deep red state, but it's also a state where he's running against a very well-funded opponent and um, an opponent who's running as a, as a conservative there. So that's definitely one we, we should keep our eyes on. And then if you look at the state legislative races, we have Virginia. Virginia is important because the Republicans have the, the governor's mansion in the state house there. Uh, if they could keep the state house and then pick up the state Senate, they, they could actually pass some very meaningful uh, conservative legislation there in Virginia. But it looks like it's going to be going to be close there. So also another important race there as well. Yeah, and Virginia is one of those states, isn't it, that the entire General Assembly is on the ballot. I mean, it's not like a third and a third, a third or whatever, uh, like we see in other places, but the, the entire General Assembly is on the ballot. Isn't that correct? Uh, that's right. That's right. I believe that's right. So we have uh, the, the two lower chambers there and uh, both margins that, so that the Republican margin of majority in the House and the Democrat margin of majority in the state Senate are both very, very slim. So, again, uh, we saw what what Virginia did just two years ago in electing uh, Glenn Youngkin and Winsome Sears. Uh, if those margins would carry over to this year, we'd we'd be looking at a very different uh, Virginia because of the conservative trifecta there. Well, I know a lot of people are very concerned. They want to stay informed. Real quickly, tell us where people can find some resources uh, to, to help them as they're looking into some of these races. Absolutely. Jody, two things real quick. Uh, you can go to our website, uh, frcaction.org, and, and access iVoterGuide. Uh, it covers all of these races that I've I've mentioned, some really, really good info there. You can also get it texted to you. Just text GUIDE to 67742. Get it straight to your, your uh, mobile phone there. And then secondly, make a plan to vote. There are so many uh, people that intend to vote, but then life happens on Election Day and they never quite get to it. So make sure you know how you're going to get to the polls, uh, when you're going to get to the polls on Election Day so that you're able to make sure your voice is heard there. Brent Kylan, thank you so much for joining us. All right, friends, coming up next, serious attacks against Speaker Johnson and his covenant marriage. Stay tuned. We'll be back after the break.
Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your Friday host, Jody Heiss. Thank you for joining us this evening. All right, Congressman Mike Johnson's election this week to be the new Speaker of the House has really placed a bullseye on him as it relates to targets and attacks coming from the left. And we're going to discuss this more even in our next segment. But one part of the Speaker's life that has drawn I think some unexpected scrutiny is his decision to have a covenant marriage with his wife, Kelly. Louisiana, which is the home state of the Johnsons, uh, was the very first state in the nation to offer covenant marriages. In fact, this legislation was authored by our own FRC president, Tony Perkins, while he was a legislator there. And it basically underlines marriage as a lifelong commitment it places limits on the circumstances under which a couple could get a divorce. Uh, and given all the societal problems that we've seen from the deterioration of marriage and family, why would the left target covenant marriage for attacks? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Brad Wilcox. He's a sociologist, a visiting scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, and director of the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia. He's also author of the forthcoming book entitled Get Married, Why Americans Must Defy the Elites, Forge Strong Families, and Save Civilization. Brad, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Jody, it's good to be with you uh, tonight. Well, listen, let's just begin, Brad. Uh, there's probably some who are listening or watching right now who may not be familiar with the term covenant marriage. What is it and how is it unique? Jody, what happened is that Louisiana, under your FRC president's leadership in part, and then Arkansas and Arizona passed a law in those states that basically makes it um, a more committed uh, relationship marriage, that is, um, where couples are kind of looking over a document, affirming their commitment to marital permanence, and in the event of any difficulty or trouble, uh, affirming their willingness to seek counseling, and then only kind of getting permission to, um, you know, to end their marriage in divorce in certain particular situations like adultery or a pattern of habitual drunkenness or abuse, for instance, and only after a period of, of time has has passed. So it's a way for these couples to sort of underline their commitment to one another and their commitment to marriage itself as an institution. All right, you're a sociologist. You deal with all this stuff 
all the time. I mean, you dive deep into this. Explain to us uh, the the benefit, if we can go this route, uh, to couples, the benefit to society, to culture as a whole, when we have strong, long-lasting marriages versus families that fall apart. Yeah, joining my forthcoming book for HarperCollins, uh, Get Married, I underline all the ways in which strong marriages benefit our country, uh, you know, make our civilization stronger, if you will. So we know, for instance, that communities that have stronger families, more two-parent families, are safer. They've got less crime. Um, we know that the strongest predictor today in America of realizing the American dream, you know, for poor kids at the community level is the share of two-parent families. So kids who are being raised in communities with more two-parent families are more likely to rise from poverty to affluence uh, as adults. Um, and we know also, too, that things like incarceration, school suspensions, all these things are much lower for kids who've got the benefit of being raised by married parents. So these are just some of the kind of uh, benefits that we see sort of playing out today when it comes to uh, to marriage in our contemporary civilization. All right, so who in the world would be opposed to any of the things you just mentioned? Things that are beneficial to society, to culture as a whole. These are benefits. They are blessings to our society when we have strong marriages. So who in the world would be opposed to that? And what does it say? This is really my question for you. What does it say about our society when the left considers this an avenue of attack against Speaker Johnson for having a covenant marriage, in in essence, where he's saying, our marriage is important to us. We're going to do everything in the world we can to protect it, to nurture it, to make it a, a good, healthy environment for our children. What, is, what does this say about society when a covenant marriage is attacked? Well, you know, I All right, it looks like we lost it. Can can you hear me, Dr. Wilcox? All right, it looks like we've lost uh, Dr. Wilcox. But, uh, you know, this is the question. This is what it ultimately comes down to. We have an outspoken, outspoken believer who is now the Speaker of the House, someone who believes the Bible, and someone who doesn't just talk it but is committed to it, to the extent even his marriage they went out of their way to have a covenant marriage. Now, look, this is this may be a new phraseology to some, but it basically is a biblical marriage where both are absolutely committed to one another to doing everything they can to make sure that this marriage is going to last, that it's going to be mutually beneficial and uh, a, a, an environment where they're going to raise their children in. A covenant marriage is a commitment to marriage. Why would the left attack that? When we have families falling apart left and right, this ought to be something that is praised, something that society gathers around and says, way to go, Mike Johnson, way to go, Kelly. Thank you all for leading by example and showing that marriage is worth protecting, is worth nurturing. Wow, where in the world have we come in our society? All right, friends, we're going to continue with more after the break. The attacks against Mike Johnson continue. We're going to go deeper into it with David Clawson. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. 
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Jody Heiss here with you. Thank you so much for joining us on this Friday edition. All right, the attacks on House Speaker Mike Johnson by the left and their allies in the legacy media are certainly predictable, uh, but quite frankly, sad in every way. We are living in highly partisan times. And the truth of the matter is any Republican Speaker of the House right now is going to be targeted, is going to be portrayed in the most negative light. But in the case of Mike Johnson, many of the attacks, quite frankly, are based simply because of his Christian beliefs. Beliefs that the church as a whole, the Christian church, has affirmed for thousands of years. But the left today considers those beliefs to be extreme. Well, you cannot get to the right of Mike Johnson in the mega caucus. Um, it's just, it's inconceivable that you could get to the right of it. If he's not for democracy, what's he for? He's for theocracy. Unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. That was Democrat Congressman Jamie Raskin earlier this week. And what can we make of all these attacks? Well, joining me now to discuss this is David Clawson. He's the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council. He recently published an article in the Washington Stand unpacking the nature of all of these attacks. And you can find the article at the Washington Stand or you can follow links at, uh, from TonyPerkins.com. David, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Great to be with you, Jody. All right, well, listen, I know uh, House Speaker Mike Johnson well. I've known him for probably 20 years. I have served with him side by side in the House of Representatives. I know that he does not just give lip service to his faith. It is who he is. It is his worldview is his biblical perspective. But all of this is just under attacks. You looked into all of the attacks based upon his Christian worldview, and you wrote a column about the, the left's attacks on him. Uh, tell us what you found. Well, absolutely. And I, I think, uh, Jody, all of us who are evangelical Christians uh, are not surprised that the kind of the criticism and denunciations of Speaker Mike Johnson, you know, th these kinds of criticisms would have probably been hurled at any Republican who was chosen uh, in the Republican conference. But I think maybe what surprised some of us is that so much of the criticism that's being hurled and levied at him uh, really just overlaps with really basic Christian beliefs. 
So if you read kind of the hit pieces that have come out in the last 24 hours, uh, his views on abortion, his views on marriage, as well as the speaker's views, uh, simple biblical views, uh, that God is the one that appoints kings, uh, God's kind of superintendence and his providence in the ordering of affairs, uh, views that Christians have held for literally 2,000 years are being uh, brought up by those in the mainstream media and by the Democrat uh, opposition researchers and kind of put forward as these views that are just so out of the mainstream and yet tens of millions of Americans hold these views stemming from a biblical worldview. So it definitely shows us uh, how few in kind of the media and in the Democrat Party even have an understanding of just basic Christian tenets. Because I think if they did, they would maybe be a little bit more subtle in how they went after him on these, again, just basic questions of Christian doctrine. Yeah, and that really is the issue. That is the point of attack. It is the Christian foundation uh, upon which he stands. Or well, during her, his first uh, address as a Speaker of the House, uh, Speaker Johnson talked about what he believes, and I couldn't help but notice he had his Bible right there with him while he spoke. But let me play a portion of this and get your response. Play clip eight, please. I want to tell all my colleagues here what I told the Republicans in that room last night. I don't believe there are any coincidences in a matter like this. I believe that Scripture, the Bible, is very clear, that, that God is the one that raises up those in authority. He raised up each of you, all of us. And, and I believe that God has ordained and allowed each one of us to be brought here for this specific moment in this time. This is my belief. I believe that each one of us has a huge responsibility today to use the gifts that God has given us to serve the extraordinary people of this great country, and they deserve it and to ensure that our republic remains standing as the great beacon of light and hope and freedom in a world that desperately needs it. And David, it was, it was as though the moment he said this, that a memo went out among Democrats with the word theocracy <laughs> in all of their talking points with this. Uh, give me your reaction to that. Uh, within just a couple of hours, you had uh, Representative Jared Huffman saying, uh, quoting that clip and saying, this is a slippery, dangerous slope to theocracy. Uh, you then had uh, Representative Jamie Raskin, who you played the clip from earlier, who says, you know, this is what theocracy looks like. So definitely the memo went out uh, with that word theocracy. And again, anyone with even just a casual acquaintance with the Old Testament will realize what the speaker was saying. Again, this is just basic Christian belief uh, coming right out of the Bible, really. Daniel chapter 2, uh, which just affirms that God is the one that raises up kings. He raises up kings. He removes kings. Uh, Proverbs 21, 1, uh, another verse that says that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, that he turns it wherever he will. A basic Christian belief is that God is the one that ordains authority. God is the one that gives delegated authority to human beings to wield it on his behalf. And so what the speaker was simply affirming there is this long-standing Christian belief that God is ultimately the one that entrusts human rulers with their authority. And so that's one of the reasons that government's a good thing and that government is valid because it's ordained by God. And again, you would just think by looking at the reaction to that just basic affirmation of Christian truth that he was saying something that was just so far out the mainstream, so extreme uh, that, it, that, it, that it's frightening. And again, I think we need to see this for what it is. Uh, just uh, again, uh, folks who don't have any reference to what the Bible teaches uh, trying to scare millions of Americans uh, when so many of us uh, would just be saying amen to everything that the new speaker was saying in his speech yesterday. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, uh, and I'll put it that way, one of those that you just uh, mentioned is a member of the Atheist Caucus. Uh, and talking about a slippery slope, uh, that is a slippery. I'm reminded of above the rostrum there in the House of Representatives, in God we trust. This is not just a slogan. It is a foundational principle upon which our nation was established. It is what we believe. It is who we are. It is not a slippery slope. It is a firm foundation. And I think we need to push back on this. Tremendously. David Clawson, thank you so much for 
taking your time to be with us this evening on Washington Watch and for keeping your pulse on what's happening here. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Jody. All right, friends, let's uh, let's wind down as the war in Israel continues to escalate. I'm honored now to be joined by FRC's Executive Vice President, General Jerry Boykin, for his analysis on the latest breaking news that's taking place. We don't want to enter into this weekend without having the most current information we can as to what's happening. Of course, General Boykin spent the last four years of his incredible 36-year military career, serving as the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. He was also one of the original members of the Army's Delta Force, which of course was established to focus on counterterrorism and hostage rescue operations. General Boykin, always an honor to have you on the program. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jody. Well, listen, I know this has been a busy day for you on the media all over the place, uh, but everybody's pulling on you because nobody knows more what's happening than you do. Uh, This is a developing story. Uh, What's the latest? What are you hearing? Yeah, uh, people are trying to uh, determine whether the incursion into uh, the Gaza Strip today, uh, and keep in mind there's a time change, but... uh, Uh, whether it's the beginning of the uh, ground attack or whether this is just another either reconnaissance or feint or preparation of the battlefield. Uh, I don't think it really matters, quite frankly, because I think uh, there's still a lot that has to be done before the Israelis are ready to go in there. And I think within the next uh, probably 72 hours, they will have accomplished what they need. At the same time, though, it could be. I mean, this could be the beginning. If they were to find that they could make a breakthrough in a place that they had not anticipated, they could certainly keep going, not stop the momentum, and make that the beginning of the ground war. Well, you have worked with uh, the Israeli forces. You know that region of the world well. You know how Hamas works, and uh, allegedly their headquarters is now under the largest hospital uh, in the tunnels underneath there, which makes it extremely difficult for Israel to respond without civilian casualties. And, of course, uh, hundreds of miles, am I correct, of tunnels underneath there. So once they start this uh, this ground game, it's an extremely difficult process trying to find the bad guys and trying to rescue uh, those who've been taken hostage in the midst of hundreds of miles of tunnels. Is that what we're looking at? Yeah, we are. Uh, I think it's a couple of hundred miles is what I heard uh, recently. But uh, but I'll tell you what, Jody, I hope that everybody that's listening to any of these programs that are talking about this recognize that what Hamas is doing violates every law of land warfare that there is. And you cannot use a hospital, for example. You can't make that hospital part of your war fighting mechanism. And then at the same time, you can go back to the when this thing started and the fact that uh, they mutilated bodies. They did all kinds of things that are against the law of land warfare. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because this is going to be over one day, and there's got to be a reckoning because if we allow that kind of behavior and without any penalties whatsoever, you're going to see the same thing again, and it's going to become more popular next time. Wow, what a chilling thought that is. All right, General, what... What should the United States be doing to what, what, how can we best support Israel as they enter into this next phase of the war? Yeah, what we need to do is we need to let them know that we are not going to abandon them. That has always been, you know, a real concern. Let them know we're not going to abandon them. We may have some suggestions, but that doesn't mean that uh, we stop all aid, all support if you don't do what we are asking you to do. The other thing is this. We, as a nation, have to make sure that uh, we're doing the things here at home 
that don't make a situation like this worse. And when we are, as as college deans and college presidents and all, allow people that are the next generation, the next generation in this nation that, that's going to allegedly take us to the next level, if we don't hold them accountable for this nonsense that we see going on here, um, I think that we're failing to support Israel the way we should because right now they need all the support they can get. They need encouragement, and and we are the ones that can do that, and we can lead the rest of the world, but we're not doing that right now, and I'm very disappointed in, in what we see happening in this country. Yeah, you know, we had Congressman Keith Self from Texas on a little bit earlier in the program, and he was talking about the weakness and the appeasement if you will, of this administration. When you look at the, the weakness of the foreign policy and the overall leadership of the Biden administration, both in the past, uh, Afghanistan withdrawal, all, all of this culminating together, how, how concerned are you with what you see? I'm very concerned. Keep in mind, in uh, 1980, the Iranians released uh, 52 hostages that had been held for 444 days. Why did they release them? What day did they release them on? Does, does America still remember? They released those on the very day that Ronald Reagan was inaugurated as president. And that is because they knew Ronald Reagan was a man of strength. He was a leader and that he was going to take them down if they did not release them. And they made that very clear in his campaign speeches, let alone in his private diplomacy with others. So I think that what we've got to do is show some strength here. And listen, I don't believe the the Iranians actually have the wherewithal to launch a nuclear strike. They will in time, but I don't think they have. And, and so many people are concerned about a nuclear strike, a nuclear strike. Well, hey, who wins in a nuclear strike? Nobody. And I don't think that that's something that we should allow to control our thinking on what's going on in Israel right now. General Boykin, there's uh, no doubt we're going to see a lot happening over the weekend, more developments. Real quickly, how can people be praying for Israel now and over the weekend with their church families and so forth? Pray that they have stamina, that they have the stamina, the physical stamina to, to withstand all that they're going to see in the next few months, get we've got to get on our knees and ask the Lord to give them the stamina that they need to continue this fight. General Jerry Boykin, always an honor to speak with you, sir. Thank you for your incredible service and your continued incredible service, both in the military and uh, for the kingdom of God. Honor to have you. Thank you very much, Jody. All right, friends, that wraps up another busy week. Hope you have a fantastic weekend. Keep in prayer. A lot to pray about. Keep the torch ablaze. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you next week. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.